it's a lot coming at you one time that you're you're battling. You know, it's almost like the ninja warrior. You know, you're trying to go through <laughs> just to see if you can even make it to the end. Yeah. I mean, that's. I mean, I know that's a funny analogy, but really, I mean, that's that's really that's really kind of how it feels these days with farming. This is the Real Food, Real People podcast. Local food and family farming are so important to the future of our food system. But at the same time, our guest this week tells us that future is very unclear. And the reasons why she says family farms may not make it in this state might not be what you expect. We talk with Madison McPherson, who's a family farmer orchardist in the Chelan area, farming cherries and apples. What a cool conversation as far as her story and how she got involved in farming and now what she sees as her biggest concerns to be able to keep her small family operation going. I'm Dylan Honkoop. This is the Real Food, Real People podcast. I'm glad you're here. I'm glad you care about the future of our food system and farms and everyone connected with our food here in Washington State. And Madison's words this week are super important to hear. Also want to thank our sponsors, Dairy Farmers of Washington. They get this. They're concerned about this as well. Wadairy.org is their website. So go check that out. You can even get a virtual farm tour, right, online uh, to check out what life is like on Washington Dairies. Mana Insurance Group supports the podcast as well. We really appreciate them and their hands-on approach to helping real local individuals and families and businesses insure themselves and plan for for the future uh, rather than just wait for something to go wrong. Uh, so love their support and what they're doing there. Williams, powering your clean energy future. They're thinking about the future and we appreciate them uh, supporting this podcast with a community grant as well as Washington Red Raspberries uh, supporting what we're doing here, sharing the stories of real farming here in Washington State. So we go now to the Chelan area. We talk with Madison McPherson, uh, family orchardist there about re what's really going on with family farming here in Washington State. Thank you first for talking to me right in the middle of season. Thank right? you. Yeah, like, no, yeah. I'm amazed that you like made time to have this chat. <laughs> it's a busy time of year. Talk about what's going on right now. Uh, right now we are um, getting ready to, we're just actually, this is a good timing. We've taken a break between cherry varieties. So um, we're just gearing up for our really big, glut basically of cherry picking here mm. um and at the same time we've just uh just started finishing up getting all of uh last year's apple crop out of storage so lots of things turning wow. and burning yeah so what's what's the next big variety that you're gonna pick um we're gonna start skinas on friday skinas so, yeah. and for people who aren't familiar what are those like? those are just yeah they're red they're a the nice red cherry they're just you know one of your standard red cherry dark red cherries that you'll find in the in the grocery store so they don't really call out varieties when you're buying them, but we, yeah. we know them by that. So I think the two, and I've talked about this on the podcast before, I think the two that you'll see in the store named are Bing mm -hmm. and Rainier. Rainier's. Yep, that's it. Yep. Those are the ones everybody yeah. knows. But there's all the, you know, there's the Skinas, there's, you know, all, uh, let's see, the Sweethearts, you know, all those yeah. kinds as well, too. Yeah. So where do your cherries go? Um, uh, we uh, have our cherries going to Custom Star Ranch, Moniana. So, um, and that, uh, and and they distribute those for us, and they do a really good job. So. And they'll be in grocery stores. They'll be in grocery stores all over, all, over, all over the country. Yep. How far do they go? Do you know? Um, you know, farthest? I'm not sure on the cherries. I know our apples make it all the way to the East Coast, so yeah. down south even. I know I got a friend down there in Georgia who looks forward to eating those. So, 
Apples are easier though, right? Yes, to get a long way. They are very much so. Cherries won't last that long. Cherries won't last long. Um, you know, there's still an international market for cherries, but that's a uh, that's 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 a hard one to do too. It's much better if we can get them locally done. So because so, of that reason, yeah. So when you start picking those skinas, mm-hmm. what's going to happen? What will life be like around here? Um, well, it'll depend what the heat is doing. Yeah. For sure. Um, you know, that's been, uh, you know, like I said, this is um, our second wave of cherries. So when we were picking last week, um, it was nearly impossible with the weather uh, as far as the elevated temperatures. Um, so we're really anticipating early mornings and having to stop early. What's the purpose for that? For the fruit or for the workers? Um, it's a little bit of both. Um, there's we, But we have standards regardless of what's going on with the fruit. We do have standards for our workers, whether it's too cold weather or too hot weather. Um, and then, and then also for the fruit, especially with cherries, you just really can't pick them over, over 80 degrees, you know, Mm. that 80 to 85 is really where they start to get just too soft to handle. So you're just, it's hard to put good fruit in the, in the lug. How early do you start in the morning then? Um, we're going to have to see last week we were starting about, you know, three thirty four in the morning. If we wow. could. Yeah. So it was early. And then, but we were, we were basically done by, you know, 10 or 11, the way the temperatures were, yeah. were fanning out. So is there any light at three thirty in the morning? <laughs> there's Can't not say much. I've gotten up that early lately. Yeah, no, there's a little bit, you know, four is a little bit, but if you can get everyone at three thirty and get kind of, you know, get all their stuff and their gear going and, um, mm-hmm. and everybody, you know, ready, then we kind of just waiting on the, on the light. So, so what will your job be? Once harvest really kicks up again here soon, um, my job is basically to just do additional support um, with the orchard. So I, my primary role is for storage for our apples here, um, but then I really, especially this time of year when I have a little more time now that I'm not having fruit in my building, um, we we only store apples, so no cherries. Um, I really just run support on anything that might need help with as far as. Uh, admins concerned or problems that pop up like with irrigation or yeah. any well you know we got a well you go, know issue go going get down parts. yeah exactly go help fix this yep. bring this over there yes. yeah. yeah so just you know basically it's kind of just an all hands on deck and mm-hmm. so you never really know what you're gonna be doing in a day you just help out where you can so and then you know here at the where here at the cold storage we still have a lot of stuff going on to prep for you know this new this new year so i will also still be here making sure that we're getting ready so so how long are your days during uh, harvest? During harvest, um, during apple harvest, my days can be 16-hour days. Yeah. Um, and with two kids at home and, you know, with my husband pulling similar hours, it's, uh, yeah. it's, it's a big challenge. But it's a short window, you know, and it's important. So you just, you just got to buckle down. But it's, a, it's an intense time, to say the least. Yeah. So yeah. what's your husband's role? What kind of stuff is he doing then on the farm? Um, he is... Uh, He's basically the the manager, you know, the lead grower. So he's making sure that everybody is one doing, you know, what they need to be doing, and yeah. and then really just keeping um, eyes on, you know, fruit and timing and quality, um, and really making the final calls on what we're picking, what we're putting on the orchards, where we're moving to, what the thinning looks like, um, you know, as far as the spacing is concerned, and um, you know, all of those little details that go into it. He's just making sure that everything's getting done. So. And you talked about the heat being a possible problem, too. What was it? We all here in the Pacific Northwest experienced heat like we really have never before in some spots. Yes. Just a week or two ago. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What so happened? Tuesday, that was, we were, we were up at, you know, 115. Um, you know, it's, uh, which is just hard. I mean, for any, 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 if you even have your home plants, you would notice that they are stressed out. Doesn't matter what you do. So they just don't tolerate that specifically for, the, the amount of time, how many days we've had 
you know, the heat when the nights are only getting 80, 81, 82, it's yeah. really possible. Um, so it's, you know, I mean, water is obviously crucial for everything, not only for irrigation, but also everyone who's in the orchard working. I mean, we just yeah. really, you know, we really stress that. Um, but yeah, I mean, water is number one. Then irrigation problems happen all the time too. So it's, mm-hmm. that's another stressful factor. Got to keep that going. Got to keep that going. What did the heat do to the fruit? Uh, well, the, a lot of cherries, um, it really wiped out a lot of cherry farmers, to be honest with you. Um, mm. We have, uh, I, you know, I think we were really lucky. Um, our packouts, uh, you know, these last packouts, we did get some, but they were lower than, than ever, you know, in the 40s. But I know a lot of farmers who had to send theirs, you know, just normally the fresh cherries, fresh cherry market, and treat them like, you know, briners. So they were going to, you know, juice concentrates or pies and things like that, um, and just not getting that same dollar value that they would if they were going to the fresh market. So um, frost was also a big issue this year. So now between the frost and um, and the heat uh, and, you know, the sunburn, it's just been, you know, kind of one thing after the other. So... So what does that do to harvest? Where where are people at? Fifty percent of what they expected? Seventy-five? Um, I would say some people are looking at um, a total loss. A lot. I know people who are looking at a total loss. Really? I know people who are. You know, are, I think if you're getting forty to fifty percent right now, you're you're doing okay. Wow. And I think you know it just depends too. I mean, if you're if you're a lower elevation, you know where it is, it gets hotter and longer. Mm-hmm. You know that's a little different. If you had the earlier cherries, you know if you were really planning to pick. It's all about timing, right? So yeah. some people who are lower elevations, if you have an early cherry variety, you know, versus some, your higher elevation with the later cherry variety, mm. you're going to get affected a little differently. So I think, unfortunately, those that lowland fruit that was not on the water yeah. really got fried. So and on the water, so if something's close to the sometimes Columbia you River. get a, like a, yeah Columbia River or you know even um, Chelan, you know you get that what they call the that lake. lake effect. Yeah, that it keeps you know, it cooler a little bit, a little mm. bit. But I mean, not when you're talking about triple digits for a week straight. There's Crazy. no cool. There's no cool. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. What are people saying? It's uh, got to be a lot of heartbreak. I would a think. lot of heartbreak. Yeah. I think it's, you know, it's just, it's, you know, farming is just getting tougher and tougher. Um, it, it really is. There's no easy way to say it. It's hard to think that it will keep getting tougher than it is now. Um, it's kind of, you know, daunting that way. Um, but here, especially where we, where we live in the Chelan area, you know, it's also becoming a big recreation spot too. Yeah. And um, I mean, you can drive around and look at what's happening. I mean, people are ripping out orchards and putting in, you know, selling their land and, and doing different things for it that's not agriculture. So what are they I, doing? Putting houses on it for people on vacation? Putting houses on it, yeah. So, you know, uh, big big swaths of, of orchard land that was, you know, green and irrigated and all of that and, and uh, owned by the same family for, you know, a few generations or, you know, now you drive around. I mean, I grew up here, so, mm-hmm. you know, the, the landscape has changed a lot, a lot that way. Um, and so I think, I think that's, you know, your eyes can tell you what's happening. I mean, if people were making money, making a living off of their, or, their orchards, they wouldn't, they wouldn't be selling it for, for alternative, uh, you know, ways to make money on the, on the actual property. So, yeah, that's how it works. You can't make money farming anymore. Why would you keep beating your head against the wall yeah. and barely scraping by? Exactly, exactly. And, you know, I mean, I, I think that people who are farming around here, because of the way this area is regarded now as, you know, as, as kind of a destination spot, you know, that is lucky for them. There's a lot of people who are in the same boat who don't have the same kind of recreation destination and, and um, you know, they don't get to benefit in that same way as far as what, yeah. you know, land prices can go for. So that's, um, you know, I feel, for, I feel for people like that too. I know people out, you know, even more and stuff that are just having a hard time. So, 
it's just, you know, to you, smaller orchards now just have such a harder time keeping up with everything else without, with the bigger, with the bigger operations because of the way that the labor go is going as well. And, you know, costs just keep increasing and yeah, I was going to ask what whether, the costs whether, you know, are. if it's not, if it's, you know, it's not one thing, then at the end of the day, it's the weather, you know? And so yeah. usually if you look at your trajectory, you can have a bad year, you can, um, you know, in the next year you have a, you know, a better one and, you know, you can kind of balance out those profits and losses, but with the labor and then you go through, you know, an environmental impact, a weather impact, it, it's, 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 it's really hard to recover from. So you talk about it being so expensive and the first thing you mentioned was labor. Mm -hmm. What's going on with that? Why, uh, why is that the way it is? Um, well, you know, I think it goes hand in hand with new, you know, new regulation that goes in place. Um, back when I was growing up, we relied on a lot of uh, migrant workers who would come up and do strawberries and then come up for apples and, you know, relied on that, um, that labor force basically there. Uh, now we're not seeing those same type of people, workers coming up and doing that. Um, I know for us personally, we rely on a lot of worker programs to bring workers up. Mm -hmm. So uh, that is the cost to bring those people up is on the farmer. Um, and then you have to you have provide housing for those people. Obviously, they're coming in from um, from out of country. And then um, the government stipulates what you pay those people, um, which is higher than minimum wage, as stated as the adverse working adverse working wage. So in Washington State right now, that's sixteen thirty four. Um, and wow. so just the labor jump, I think you know the, the the cost of labor, the hourly rate has just really really gone up. I mean, it's almost doubled, and I think about seven years so and how does that compare to what you're getting for your fruit the, unfortunately it doesn't work the other way <laughs> so mm. you don't get to recoup those costs um the market the market with, with fruit really the market sets your price you know and there's no um there's no recourse for that you know buyers will only pay a certain amount for an apple it doesn't matter how pretty it is yeah um you know when there's other if there's other produce items around for example you can make those choices um, you know, sometimes with cherries, if you sell them internationally, they get all the way to where they're going, and then that place can really barter with your pricing, too, and say, I'm only going to accept these now for this, now that I've looked at them, or, yeah. you know, when they have the possession. So um, so you really are kind of beholden to, you know, what what that is, and that doesn't really change. So yeah. um, so it's it's getting harder. And, and regulation, you know, providing housing is not is not inexpensive. Um, and a lot of these smaller farmers don't have the resources to to provide that either, and then their labor is not coming. And so I feel like if you you're either at a position where you don't have enough labor and you can't get your fruit out on a in a quality manner, um, so that is really hurting you. Or if you are able to bring in labor, um, it's it's so expensive to do so that it's it's almost a wash for mm. for what what both of those scenarios are looking at. So what you're describing, the higher and higher costs of labor, and then the costs of the regulation on labor, other regulations, other, and then that pressure of weather, pressure mm -hmm. of development, all of these things then make it make the thing that you're describing where people are selling their orchards yes. for housing, mm -hmm. and there's nothing you can do about that? The price can't get passed along. The price is not, yeah, I mean, that's right where it is right now. The price is not getting, you know, it's not getting passed along. So the, hmm. there's not a lot of recourse for farmers at this moment that I know about. And if I can, can find that out, I would love to be a part of, you know, trying to work, work together on that. Um, it sounds like in all these things that I just listed, they all give advantage to bigger and bigger yes. farms and orchards. Yes, exactly. And I think that's one thing that, um, you know, I, I'm not sure if it's realized, but I don't feel like it's being 
discussed very much because, I mean, it's a symbiotic relationship, especially with labor. I mean, we can only get the fruit off if we have the force to pick it. And so um, I can't speak for every orchardist out there, you know, um, but I can say that we really value our work, you know, our workers, our labor force. Um, I know their families. We, you know, uh, we share Christmas, you know, times together and, um, and it's, it's, it's a community. Um, Mm -hmm. And so whether it's full time, we've had guys come back on our work contracts from Mexico who have been here for, you know, coming back for five years straight, um, you know, who, who are who we look forward to see again and you know you make relationships with these people um we can't we can't do what we do without without those people and so it is a really it's a symbiotic relationship and i think that recently i feel like we have farmers have been um you know bearing the brunt of that and kind of being made to look like people we don't want to pay wages we don't want to um we don't want to you know do regulation um and i i think that's a really big misnomer and something that kind of gets abrasive after a little while you know you're kind of defending yourself on that a lot because i think if you really came in and spent time um it you would you know it would be it would be a different picture of what people are trying to portray i also we also have people who only who come and and do a lot of you know family things or have other priorities in their life but then they do sign on for harvest because they know that's when they can make you know a a really good chunk of change as well where maybe the rest of the year they're doing something else so, you know, now that overtime is going to be coming into play, um, you know, the, I feel that what will happen is, or what will happen with the trends is that the bigger conglomerates, they can afford to build housing and they, mm. can, and they can bring up more workers and they won't have to pay overtime because they will just fan, they will just amortize that workout over a larger body. So they'll have more people to get the same work done so everyone can be yes. kept to 40 hours yes. or below. So instead of worker one getting 16 hours of work a day because it's apple harvest time and that's what we're all doing, um, they'll scale them back to eight to avoid paying overtime. Yeah. Um, but the smaller, the smaller farmers, the mom and pops, who can't afford to build all that additional housing and all the resources that it takes to have that kind of infrastructure, um, it's going to put them in a serious disadvantage. And I think that's when you're going to see that, that polarization really start to happen, um, where you're going to have the, the large corporations you know, being able to keep up no one is going to still get a lot of overtime. They'll make sure of that. Um, and it's just really going to put put the small guys out. I think that's going to be... So you're I, saying that this new overtime law that's supposed to help workers is actually going to make things worse as far as farms getting bigger and small farms, yes. family farms not being able to make And it. I think those workers are going to get less hours. So I think instead of getting having one job, or you know, for example, during harvest time, then in order to make that same amount from the year before they might be looking at having more than one job so you know it's it's it sounds good no one wants to no one wants to hurt people and pay under and you know and do and and treat people and and not pay their worth um so i think everyone is in agreement there but at the same time there's this whole other scenario where people are going to be getting around all of that and um and i think that fewer people are going to have more control Mm. Um, in that scenario, because like I said, it's just gonna it's just gonna really knock out the little guys. Some people who have pushed in support of this overtime law have said, "Well, this is better for people's health. Like it's not healthy to be working over forty hours a week." Is it going to be better for workers? To- you go right now. I mean, you have. I mean, I, I mean, yeah. But that's up to the individual. Mm. Right now, I have some. You know, I have I have someone who's working, but then also is working night shift for cherries. Mm. So. 
it's, so it's they aren't working overtime for you, but they're they picking up extra. But they're picking up extra hours because it's cherry season, and they and they also want to make money. So um, and I and I support that person. You know, I know they're a little more tired right now, but I, I yeah. you know, I mean, I that's just the way it goes, and um, I, I think that that's up to the individual. Um, I'm not sure if that's if that's the right thought, but to me, that's no. it's to me. And I that's the way like I felt about it when I was doing farm work. I mean, that's how I paid my way through college. Yeah, right. And once it was. And for me, it was planting corn. Once it was planting season, I wanted to get as many hours as I possibly could. Right. Because my time was already blocked off. Like, I knew it was going to be crazy. Mm -hmm. I had no social plans, right. nothing. Yeah, you just commit, you just commit yeah. to it, right? And in, you know, two months' time or mm -hmm. less, mm -hmm. I could make enough money to pay for my entire year of college right. ahead. Yeah, right. Yeah, and then you have, the, the, and then you have time to do, uh, you yeah. know, other things and see your people and relax and decompress and yeah. all that kind of stuff so um oh i totally get it i mean that's the way i operated it it's because i think farming comes and goes too it's so seasonal right if i had to do that year round of course no yeah i, yes. I, no I one would could fall sustain apart themselves yeah i remember one summer i worked seven days a week i had a jet ski job here and i had a, i was trying to work towards my career when i was in college in the city for a minute and um yeah that that you know at some point your your body will start to break down at, at that kind of work but I mean, it, again, though, then you stop if that's what you yeah. need to do, you know. So um, I just, I think it's up to the individual. And I don't think it should be, you know, uh, a blanket. I just don't think it should yeah. be a blanket regulation. You talk about different worker programs, like the H-2A yes. program. Mm -hmm. Those have been kind of controversial. What yes. do you think about all of that? Um, well, they are controversial. Um, you know, I, I know that we wouldn't use it if we didn't have to. I know that we always we I mean we we I mean there's when you do when you go to that program you mm -hmm. are you are responsible to follow certain protocols to make sure that you are recruit you know working to recruit domestic workers um, advertising for that you're you know they get provided the same opportunity to make um, sure that people who live here don't don't get left, get out, left out right so if um, you know if again and, uh, that's another scenario where the farmer has to um, you know kind of kind of gets this if if you bring up if you bring up ten workers because that's how many you need. But then someone locally will come to you and say, I need a job. You are required to hire that person. Mm. Then you send your worker back to Mexico mm. because you can only house 10 right. people. If you only have that much room, yeah. But you paid $1,500 to bring that first person up. And so if you have someone who's domestic, you have to send that person back and you're just, you know, you're out all of that. Um, and uh, I know that, you know, that doesn't maybe seem like a lot to some people. Um, but when you are dealing with, you know, a couple hundred workers... <laughs> And that scenario yeah. can happen to however many, um, you know, it's, uh, and again, it's just, it's, it's proportionate for the smaller guys. It's just a harder, it's a harder hit every time for the smaller guys. So there's all these pressures that you are talking about with labor, the cost just of the labor, yes. then the added costs of the regulations yes. and different things. Um, the other regs that you were mentioning, and these all seem to give the advantage to the big, big farms. Yes. Yeah. So I think that you're going to end up watching watching those smaller guys, you know, go go by the wayside a little bit more as the bigger guys are going to be able to out outsmart, you mm -hmm. know, outskirt some of these, you know, regulations. Um, you know, like going back to the overtime, I uh, they're they're just not, you know, they're going to be able to build more housing and 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 keep their hours at a minimum versus versus a smaller person who's not going to be able to, you know, add all that infrastructure to their orchard. So just so, bring that many more people in. Yes. To keep them to keep all, the ball all on the, yeah, 40, 40 hours a week. Yes. So that no one gets overtime. Yeah. 
So no one's going to, I mean, you know, I think that there'll be, I think there'll be a lot of the bigger guys working around that. They will just hire more people to amortize that, that work over. And that's, I mean, if you think about other jobs where overtime has been a thing. Right. And that I've worked in the past, it's like, no, you're not getting overtime. Right. Like if you get up to 30, 35 hours a week. Yeah. You got to ask, you got to see ya. We're going to hire somebody else to do the rest of it. Yes. Right. Even though there have been many times in my life when I'm like, I have the time right, to do yeah, that, and I, like and I to want it. to make the money for that work. I'm already trained to do it. I've exactly. been doing it all day. I right. don't want to go home. Right. I just want to make a little bit more money in this season right, right. now. Yeah, and and I think a lot of people look forward to that. I think that's you know season. I, you know, there's different um, there's different type of industries, right? So we um, we don't overtime all year long. You know, it's it's only in harvest time when yeah. when the fruit demands the work. Um, there are probably times of the year where you're way less than forty way hours less. a week. Yes, like way go less on vacation for a month. We do, yeah. We always uh, we always try to get we give everyone off between Christmas and New Year's and things like that. Um, and uh, and then you know there's there's times right now. Sometimes we'll have to work on you know half day Saturdays, but obviously if we don't we don't. Um, we, you know, we really try to rest up our team. You know, we have an awesome team of people who work really hard out there to pick that fruit. And so we, uh, we don't want to burn them out either too early on. Um, so we really try to keep the hours, you know, regulatory during the, mm-hmm. during the non, you know, the non-harvest time. For sure. So, um, like I said, a lot of these people have, you know, families and things going on outside of just, you know, work, hopefully. Um, but, um, but then they also do really look forward to making that that money, you know, a lot of that money is made during during the harvest season. So you're saying that the new overtime law, which is supposed to help workers, may not actually make them any more money, or may make them less, less money. Less money, yeah. I think overall you'll see that. I, I think that it will. It's going to change that that scenario where you have people who are really looking forward to just making a lot of money in a small season. Um, and I think that in general, that's not, I think you're going to see people having to get to, you know, two jobs during that time instead, or have a, have another, have another way to keep that flux of income in. Um, and it's, like I said, I, and I think that's really going to be what puts, puts the little guys out too, is that they just can't, they just can't afford to do that. And so the overtime law will give the advantage to mm-hmm. big companies. Big companies. Yeah. I Cause the little guys, they're just, they're not going to be able to keep up after a while. You know, if they're paying time and a half and the other guy is only paying time, because they can get more because workers they can get more workers this. build more housing and and do all that get more you know buses and all that to get everyone where they need to go i mean it's a lot of infrastructure that you need to support a workforce like that and all that infrastructure is to be able to have workers here on some of those work pr- programs that you talked about Correct. like h2a yes talk about that that's been controversial yes why um i think it's because people think that the 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 Jobs are being, you know, preferred to people who are coming in from from out of country. Um, I know that's not the case. I mean, for us, we, we you know, we we would prefer to hire domestic any any time, and we recruit for that. We you know offer jobs for that. Um, and then there's all there is also you know rules in place when you do the H two A program that if uh, you know someone comes up to you who's a domestic worker and you have hired you know an H two A guy. Um, and if you don't have room for that domestic guy, you have to, you send your, you know, your H2A guy home and you give that to the domestic worker. So there's a lot of safeguards in place so that people can't abuse, abuse that. So um, you p- prefer to get that local worker. Oh yeah. Who- yeah, for sure. It's what well, for, for one, we don't, we are, it's, we, it's less money for the farmer to hire that local worker because of the initial cost to bring the other worker up from, from Mexico. Or, you know, or any, anywhere, in, you know, usually yeah. in the southern countries. But That's interesting because I've heard the critics of those programs say, well, it's just a way for big farms to get extra cheap labor. That I would, I disagree with that. Because if you, uh, 
when you're going through those programs, not only do you have to, you don't even pay minimum wage, so you have to pay the adverse working wage, which is actually higher than minimum wage. Um, and so anyone who's domestic in that regard would also be getting that adverse working wage. Um, so if you have a farmer who's actually not working, who's not, you know, doing the H-2A program, you would actually have the opportunity to make less per hour, potentially, with that, with that farmer. Um, so the other part of it, unfortunately, is that we're looking at, you know, scenario, situations now where we're not getting any domestic help. And so you can't really rely on that. I mean, if you, you know, at the end of the day, you're, you're running your business, you, you can only keep your employees that you have if you make money that year, no matter right. who they are. Right. Um, and so if the workers aren't you know, coming up, you just, you have to do it. It's an insurance policy. And we end up sending, you know, people home sometimes, but, but every year it's less and less. We are not, we are not getting domestic people knocking on our door like we used to. So there is a worker shortage. There is definitely a worker shortage. And right now there's even more of a worker shortage, I think, mm. because of uh, the extra cherry on top from, you know, this, uh, this last year. Mm. Um, where a lot of people have stepped away from the labor force mm. and have because been, of COVID and all the yeah programs yeah basically unemployment unemployment has been huge you know as far as be, uh, getting assistance with with that um, I'm hoping that we'll start to see that change I know just this last week you now have to show that you're actively trying to get a job to do that so maybe that'll get everyone you know yeah. kind of fi- figured out um, you know I think. I think that whether you're in a restaurant industry right now or agriculture, I mean, I've never seen so many help wanted signs in my town for, for work. So I think it's a problem across the board. Um, we've been experiencing it more and more every year, I think more so, but I, I think everyone has had a bump up, you know, from COVID with this last year. So I, I you know, if it's not labor and regulations, it's weather, it's been COVID. I yeah. mean, it's, um, it's just, it's a lot coming at you one time that you're, you're battling, you know, it's almost like the ninja warrior, you know, you're trying to go through <laughs> just to see if you can even, Make it to the end. Yeah. I mean, that's. I mean, I know that's a funny analogy, but really, I mean, that's that's really that's really kind of how it feels these days with farming. So I think a lot of people are looking at where they're at in life and make you know making different decisions um, because they just they can't keep up and they can't make money and it's really you know you get tired of that. It, it wears on you after a while. So um, and like I said, I think that that's really you know proportionally represents the smaller the smaller farmer. You know, the moms and pops. The families. And you're talking Not about... Not corporations, yeah, families. Yeah. Family you're parts. talking about costs going up and up for all these different reasons, mm-hmm. labor, yeah. overtime, mm-hmm. regulations, mm-hmm. different things, change, land price yeah. pressures. Right. And, and just and being treated differently. I mean, even with COVID, you know, the, so a lot of the... I, I was frustrated by... So, I mean, I mean, I, we are all frustrated with COVID. Obviously, we worked really hard to keep everybody safe and, and do what we need to do. That was super important. But, you know, you could, you know, at the, I remember at the time when they were trying to take uh, bunk beds away, but you had people, you know, working close shoulder to shoulder in Starbucks, you know. So I, I always, I feel that we, yeah. we uh, same thing right now with, um, you know, some of the, the, te- the housing stuff that we have to wait till September now where everything is back open. But guess what? Ag, we still have, we still have COVID regulations on us that nobody else has. Nobody. Why? Um, I think it was an oversight. And they went all the way to September 1. So we are pushing to ask for that to happen a little earlier so that we can all determine how, how, many, how many people we can have for harvest because that's super yeah. important. Um, but so, so. so even though the governor said the state's basically open again with some caveats, yeah, we was still, it June 30 or something? Yeah, so for, for ag, But not for farming. September 1. Crazy. Yeah. When, when does apple, and I'm sure apple harvest is kind of like prime time yeah and it'll be interesting this year with all the heat how you know what that does to timing um and how the rest of the summer looks obviously but um 
last year I know that we started picking, you know, in the 20s of August usually for early mm. early Honeycrisp. Late August. Uh, yeah, so late August is usually when we start. So, um, so it would have been nice if they could have considered, you know, the seasons with some of those dates that they put in there. Um, but sure. you know, I, I, that's, you know, that's, that, that would be a complaint. I don't feel very considered as a farmer yeah. right now. So, yeah. you know, but that's just the way it goes. We'll keep, we'll keep at it. So all these costs keep going up. There's no real way to pass them on. No, there's no real uh, way to pass like, it on. Doesn't mean that food, apple prices, cherry prices, no. in the case of my family, raspberry prices are going to go up in the yeah. store. Well, and I think people will say, well, I feel like food's getting really expensive and it is, you know, inflation's up and all that's happening, but we're, but that's, that, that is not trickling down back to the farmer. So you're so. making any no. more money for your fruit. No. I mean, right. You know, if you have, for example, I mean, on the red delicious variety, you know, you can't even get $99 a bin, you know, for that, which I know is, doesn't really equate to what people do in the store, but yeah, how, how, it costs how you many about pounds a, are in cost, a bin? Uh, well, you'd like to get about 16 boxes in a bin. You know, it depends how, how good your pack out is, right? So, you know, you can't pack all that fruit. You might have a split. You might have a bruise. You might have, you yeah. know, something like that. But So I'm terrible at mental math. Yeah. 16 boxes at, what, 25 pounds each? Mm-hmm. Yep. So how, how many pounds oh, in a bin? Geez, there's a calculator right there. <laughs> let's get the calculator. But, uh, but yeah, if you just look for a bin, this. I mean, basically, it, it'll cost you 120 bucks to, to har- farm that bin. And you can only get, I and mean, you can only sell it for 100 Hundred bucks for, and there's four hundred pounds in a bin. Does that sound right? Yeah, about. Do I have that right? Mm-hmm. So, so like twenty five cents a pound or less. Yeah, yeah. So it's just for. <sighs> so if you have reds, you're literally you 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 just you might as well just leave that fallow, but you can't because there's there's problems with doing that too. But um, you know, so I, you know, I think that's one thing too is that you know the other layer of that is the varieties. You know, the the, the varieties. If you haven't replanted and tried to. St- and try to push yourself and, and again, put all money into taking the fruit out that was producing, putting all new fruit in, waiting two to three years to get that actually producing again um, to stay up with some of the more, um, you know, current varieties, then, you know, that that's an issue for you too. So, um, which, again, it's harder for smaller farms to, to get that done in the same capacity yeah. as the bigger guys. So you said you grew up here yes. around all of this? yes. Um, my mom and I moved out of Bellevue in, uh, when I was eight years old in second grade and bought mm-hmm. a little apple orchard over here. Um, we had about eight acres of Red Delicious and Goldens. Did she have, like, farming background? or nope. how, how did she? No, no. My grandpa used to take her over here to fish, and she just fell in love with the area. And um, awesome. so, yeah, my stepdad kind of did some of the orchard stuff, and she was an accountant. She worked at the reclamation for them for a really long time. And, uh, and, and, but farming was a big, you know, obviously a big part of what we did all the time. I was checking bins and handing out tickets and, you know, doing all of that kind of stuff. So, um, what was that like moving from the city out here, going into farming as a young kid? It was, um, it was, inti- I mean, school, I mean, I remember moving to school, you know, that was intimidating just because, yeah. oh, that's all right. I mean, we all can recognize that as, as being little. Um, but outside of that, I really, I actually really, uh, took, took to it quite well. I really, I really yeah. did. I really dug it. Yeah. I really love being out, out and about with people outside all the time. Yeah. I love the seasons over here. You know, we get them all. And so you just, uh, I just really fell in love with it. And I think that's why when I tried to go to college and go be a big city girl, I decided I had to, I had to come back. It just was where my heart was. So. Yeah, talk about that. Why'd you have to get out of town? Um, I just think when you grow up in a small town, you think there's so many more opportunities out there. Um, which is kind of the case, but then you realize that, you know, where you grew up is, is actually quite lovely. You know, I mean, I, you know, I'm lucky to say that that happened here in Chelan, which is just yeah. a beautiful area on top of it being, you know, more ag centric, but that's changing now too. Um, 
so I, I, I really came back and, and decided when this opportunity came up to get, to get with the family business that I wanted to be on the ag side of things. I wanted to be, I wanted to be on the, on the ag side of, of this area and try to do what I could to keep and preserve and be a part of that. So where'd you go to college and what'd you go for? Uh, I went to UW and uh, I ended up making my own degree called art marketing. I wanted to go into art production um, for corporate artwork. It was a big deal. So I did that for a long time. Uh, I ran a production company and uh, I went into sales um, for a few years and I was able to move back here. I was working remotely from home. And then uh, three years ago, I signed on to do the cold storage for um, our apples. And I've been learning a whole new skill set doing that. Yeah. And renovating an entire building to get it back up to speed so that it's up to the century for storage. So, um, so yeah, that's you know that's my story. But I but it is it's become it's become a passion to you know to talk about it. I think that people just don't really know enough of that other side, um, yeah. you know, about what it what it is. I think it's it's just it's really skewed. It's a very skewed um, outlook, at least as far as I'm concerned right now with with farming. So. Shame. What, what happens to change that? What What's going to turn this around? I don't know. I'm hoping that doing things like this, you know, which is why I signed on to do that. Um, I, you know, I there's not a lot of education that goes into farming, you know, um, as far as what the consumer is doing yeah. or getting. I think people are starting to get a little more savvy to that, hopefully. But I'm going to say, I think there's a lot of education that goes into farmers. I've heard no, that. Farmers, yeah. A lot of positions. Now you have to have a degree oh, or even yes. a master's oh, yeah. now to get, yeah, yeah, <laughs> get yeah. farming yeah. Oh, yeah. management position yes yeah no it's a whole i mean it's a whole thing you're doing estimates you know regulations you're um you know it's a huge numbers game obviously i mean it's it's you know it's not just farming it's running a business you have all mm-hmm. the the corporate aspects that you would in any other regard um but then you also have all of the russian roulette aspects yeah. you know with with um all uh, you know i don't know any more industry that there that there's so many that there's more avenues that you have no control over um, and so you're, you know, you're just bopping alligators, you know, as they, as they come out at you. Whack-a-mole, exactly. Um, so, you know. But even though it's, you know, it has that business side and corporate stuff, still a family farm, Still right? a family farm. Yes, still a family farm. So that's, again, you know, it's the advantage to those corporations who have all that, you know, that working, working already. Um, we were kind of set up like that. Um, and again, I, it's just been exponential in these last in these last handful of years. I mean, really, I mean, the amount of paperwork, regulation, inspections, you know, all of that stuff has just become quite over the top. So um, that's that's what's that's what's killing the little guy. Is like I said, it's just it's it's polarizing. I think that's what people don't understand is that there's some really big farmers out there, you know, corporations, and there I wouldn't really I mean I call them farmers but they're really you know they're not what we think of when yeah. we're talking about you know the family farmers the mom and pops it's just a different scenario so um it just like any other corporation they have the loopholes they have all of, you know the stuff the, the infrastructure and and the, and the money to back to back that and the ways to work around things so yet at the same time a lot of these different rules and things that are changed mm-hmm. in theory to make various things better are making it worse for the small guy. Yes. And I, and I, and I think that will actually trickle down to making it worse for the worker too. Like going back to the overtime scenario, um, you know, where I think that you, that person will have to look at getting a second job because they're out, they're not going to be able to make that seasonal influx. Um, so it'll be interesting. And, and the, and the core and the, and the larger guys are going to be able to play that game and the smaller guys aren't. Um, and, uh, that's exactly the opposite of what we want. But it's exactly but it's the opposite like of what we want. I feel like it's the opposite of what we're getting told too. farmers are bad. You know, you, you right. know, we, we'd hate everybody. We hate our workers. We, you know, we just treat people really horribly. And I, I just, from, from, from what I know and where I grew up, I, in my area, I, that couldn't be further from the truth. Like 
a tale of many unintended consequences yes. where, okay, overtime law is supposed to help workers right, yeah. and help them make but, more money, level yeah. the wage, ends up making them make less money. Yep. And, and puts out the mom and pops. Yes. Where there is that real community right. and they're all yeah, exactly. basically even though not related family, yeah, family together. together. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's, it's, it is, it's, it's getting rid of that, you know, it's getting rid of that. And, and to me that that's what you want to keep, you know, the, that's what you want to keep is the community, you know, the small family farmers, the, the, um, diversification, you know, among those people, um, and none of these regulations that have been put in place is are geared for that. All of those regulations that are get put in place have been to put to, to squash those people. Now they they can sound really good when you when people are talking about them in a certain way. Yeah. Um. But there's no light shed on the other part of that, and I think that's the other. I think that's the other part of it is that people just assume that these these farmers are seeing you know one little one man one guy who owns a ton of stuff. And that's just not true. You know, there's just three or four generation family farms that are just scraping by on a few acres and have a, have had the same workers for years and years and years. Or, um, and they just, they're, you know, not going to be able to do it. So. Well, good luck to you. Thank you. You've got a lot of harvest ahead, I know, yeah. between finishing cherries and then getting on to apples. Mm-hmm. We'll see. That's, I hope the weather cooperates a little yeah. bit so that we actually have something to, to look forward to, to to work for. So. Yeah, yeah, that's the way it is in farming, right? You just you never know until you get out and no. pick them. And my, I, you know, my my father-in-law always comes to mind on that because he would always just look. He would get you know done and just say, "I just hope I, I can do it for one more year." And it's not because he was getting too old or anything. It just literally was. I hope that I can make enough to to put it back in just to do it again. So you try to keep that mentality as best as best you can. I think, but um, but you know, but it's hard. So hopefully, we'll see. Um, you know, so yeah, thank a farmer, hug a farmer. <laughs> well, thank you for being willing to do this and taking time out of a busy time of year to sit down and chat. Well, thanks, Dylan. Thank you for kind of shedding light and, and giving people a voice to, to talk about this. So, Absolutely. Yeah. This is the Real Food, Real People podcast. These are the stories of the people who grow your food. 